Well, good morning, Resurrection Presbyterian Church and anyone else who may be joining us. I'm Jared Bryant, the pastor of Resurrection, and this past week has been a very tense week for our nation. On top of all that we have already been feeling and experiencing with a global pandemic, we are faced with a new range of emotions that have been sparked by the death of George Floyd and the protests and riots and tidal wave of responses from the news and from social media. And it's it's hard not to be overwhelmed by the issues themselves, the depth of the personal and systemic problems and, and the layers of historical wounds that have been growing for literally hundreds of years But then when you pour on that, the thoughts and opinions of millions of people, so many of them good, it becomes even more overwhelming. And this has been a heavy time for me personally, thinking about our nation, about the black community, the city of Athens, and our own church family. And I've had conversations this week with my own kids about some of the darker history of our country and the reason behind so much of what they see on the news. And these are not easy conversations. And the more I talk, the more I realize how little I know and how much I have to learn. There is is real loss. There is real pain, real fear, especially in the Black community. And it's hard to know what to say or what to do at a time like this, and it it causes us to slow down and to look to Jesus. Because as Christians, we are followers of Christ, which means so many things, but at the very least, it means that we want to take our cues from Him. So staying close to Jesus, not only His teaching, but His heart, is the safest way forward. And not only that, it's it's the only way towards true reconciliation and healing. In the passage you may have just read together from Luke 10, a simple and yet profound question is asked. And the question is, and who is my neighbor? And it's a simple question, but how we answer that question will really give direction to how we live and who we love. And there's a tendency in people, in nations, and even in churches to be selective about who we love. And Jesus is telling us a story to get behind our normal defense mechanisms and bring us really face-to-face with a difficult truth and an even more difficult calling. So this past week, I've, I've tried to listen more carefully to some of my neighbors, not the people who live right next door, but a part of our larger community that has been hurt, oppressed, unjustly treated, all of which is rooted in both current events and historical realities. So earlier this year, I started reading uh, The Broken Road by Peggy Wallace Kennedy, and she's the daughter of a famous Alabama governor, George Wallace, who was serving during the time of the civil rights movement. And in it, she talks about her own struggles with her father's role in pushing back against the civil rights and the deep racial wounds that are still waiting to be healed even today. And as I was reading it, it struck me that segregation and these Jim Crow laws were not that long ago. When my father was a senior in high school, the University of Georgia saw its very first African-American students walk through the doors. 
And then when, when my dad graduated from Auburn in Alabama, his diploma uh, it bore the signature of Governor George Wallace. And, and this sent me just on some more personal reading going back through the history of the South and the Civil War, and then listening to different Black voices and their experiences, some older like that of Sojourner Truth and Frederick Douglass, uh, giving a very different perspective on life in America. And one thing I've learned in, in my time counseling and pastoring is that people's stories are complicated. We are all part of systems, generational systems that shape who we are, that shape how we live. And as I journey uh, through the past to the present, I realize uh, just how deep some of these wounds go and how how complex some of these systems are. And I see that the church, while at times being a bright light in the darkness, at other times was just another voice of oppression or silent with fear. And what I'm seeing more of is these are our neighbors. So in the next few weeks, our, our building committee is going to be providing some updates. And they've been working really hard, even in the midst of some some very difficult circumstances over the past few months and and our plans to eventually move into a building means that we plan as a church family to move into a neighborhood to be part of our community in a way that we're not right now so up to this point we we've lived somewhat of a nomadic life so having met in two different school cafeterias and three different places in the classic center and and our plan now is god willing to establish a new church home in a specific community on the eastern side of athens and having lived on this side of town for nearly 15 years i know it is a diverse community it is diverse politically and economically and racially, and it's good for us to begin asking the question, who are our neighbors? And what does it mean for us to be a good neighbor? What kind of people does God desire us to be? And in thinking about that, this the passage from the prophet Micah came to mind, and it's a time where God's people were in need of renewal at the deepest level. And the question is, what is the way forward? How do God's people grow in becoming the salt and light they were meant to be? And so we read these words, Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and, and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give... My firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Now, there are three things that are identified here that will help guide us forward. It's not burnt offerings or thousands of rams or thousands of rivers of oil. It's not any extravagant gift that we can think up of to offer to God, but it's this. He's told you what's good, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So first, to do justice. The justice that's being talked about here and the justice that is talked about in the Old Testament is really not about making sure people get what they deserve. Uh, the word mishpat is, is really about doing what is right. 
So think about what happens in the story Jesus tells in Luke 10. So there's a man traveling from uh, Jerusalem, the heart of God's people, to Jericho. And, and along the way, he's attacked by robbers and he's left for dead. And then as he lies there in his blood, beaten, humiliated, and helpless, there's a priest and there is a Levite, both religious figures, both set apart to show the people what God is like and to be channels of God's grace to the people. But but both of them, when they see the man wounded and left for dead, they pass by on the other side of the road. Um, that's a picture of injustice. That's that's a looking the other way, ignoring what is wrong and refusing to be a part of making it right. And what we see in the scriptures is that Jesus himself came to bring true justice. So if you go back earlier in Luke's gospel, all the way to chapter four, when Jesus first begins his teaching ministry, he starts with these words from the prophet Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So yes, Jesus came to forgive sins and reconcile us to God, but he came to do much more than that. He came to do justice, to set what is wrong Right. And that's why we see in the Gospels that the pairing together of preaching good news with these acts of, of goodness and mercy. A number of times we'll read something like this. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And this is really a, a work that we are called to be about as well, of proclaiming good news and pursuing justice and mercy. And opportunities will abound. Sometimes it means speaking, and sometimes it means listening. Sometimes it means forgiving, and sometimes it means asking for forgiveness. And sometimes it means giving away, and sometimes it means praying. But it's always led by love. If, if it's not, then it becomes something very different, something that just feeds the problem more. Which brings us to our second calling as God's people, and that is loving kindness. When we hear the word kindness, we often think of, of a gentleness or, or a soft or quiet kind of love. And while that can be part of it, the word behind uh, kindness here is the Hebrew word hesed, which is in most other places of scripture translated as steadfast love. So it actually communicates something very strong and enduring and sacrificial and incredibly generous. And it's the word God uses again and again in the Old Testament really to describe his own love. And so going back to the story that, that Jesus tells, after these two religious leaders pass by, there is a Samaritan, uh, so a man of a different ethnicity, completely different race, uh, really a part of a group that was hated by the Jews, seen as their enemy, and there were generations of hostility layered on. And it's this man who slows down, who sees this Jew in need and who takes pity on him and bandages his wounds and pours oil and wine, brings him to an inn and takes care of him himself and then gives money for his care to the innkeeper and opens up a tab that's, that says, whatever expenses come up, put those on me. 
And, and that's Hesed. That that is the kind of love that's being talked about here in Micah. It is a kind of love that moves towards those in need and and says, "Put it on me." Uh, and that kind of love will lead us across political lines. That kind of love will lead us across religious lines. That kind of love will lead us across economic lines, and it will lead us across racial lines. And it's this is the kind of love that God has for us that moved Jesus out of a place of joy and security into a place of sorrow and danger into enemy territory where he would be rejected and mocked and crucified. But he did this because only love like that has the power to heal the world. As Martin Luther King Jr. once said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Do justice. Love kindness. And finally, walk humbly with your God. When I think about humility, I think about uh, Frederick Douglass, who in his autobiography, he tells about taking the time to sit down with his old master. And when his old master was on his deathbed and sought uh, reconciliation and healing from years of mistreatment and abuse. And I also think about someone like Charles Morgan Jr., where in, in the beginning of Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise, he tells about uh, the aftermath of the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham uh, in 1963, where there were four young girls who were killed and 20 others wounded. And the day before the funeral, this white lawyer, Charles Morgan, he gave a speech at this all-white men's business club, and he asked the question to everyone. He said, who did it? Who, who threw the bomb? Was it a Negro or was it a white? And he said, the answer should be we all did it. Because what he saw was there was this culture of complicity that, that either looked the other way or joined in in countless ways to further this culture of injustice and racial animosity. And for that answer, he received uh, numerous death threats and his family was forced out of town. But humility is being is is being willing to say I'm I'm part of the problem, uh, that I am in desperate need of God's grace and kindness, uh, that I'm a part of the brokenness of this world that I I so strongly rail against. And Christians have the greatest reason and the greatest resources for living with humility, because as we read in Scripture, for it is by grace, by a gift, that you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is a gift from God so that no one may boast because the gospel frees us to acknowledge all the ways in which we are a part of the world's problems and, and the systems of brokenness uh, because our hope is really based on the performance of another. And we realize that it is only by his wounds that we are healed. So gospel-driven, true humility frees us from being condescending and judgmental on the one hand and then being defensive and aggressive on the other. There, there will be tense and difficult days ahead. It's taken our nation hundreds of years to get to where we are, and there is no easy fix for the racial divide that still haunts our communities. But we as a church family want to be a part of the solution moving forward and part of the healing and part of the work, honestly, that God is doing in our midst and in our communities. But the way forward is staying close to Jesus. It's doing justice. It is loving kindness. And it's walking humbly with our God for the good of our neighbors. I love you all. I'm praying for us, for our community. 
that justice and mercy and healing would, would really flow and roll like a river over all of us. Amen.